Welcome to our second sermon in our series on the songs we sing. Last week we did Amazing Grace by John Newton. This week we will look at And Can It Be That I Should Gain by Charles Wesley. Then next week we'll do What a Friend We Have in Jesus, and we will close out our series with It Is Well With My Soul. But our text for today, And Can It Be That I Should Gain, our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask that you would move in our lives. Lord, uh, save us. Draw us close to you. Reconcile us to your love and reconcile us to one another. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Last week, we learned about that amazing grace that can even save a wretch like John Newton. And Newton was a bad guy, we learned. He was so mean and dishonest that even the other slave traders didn't like him and gave him the worst chores on the ship to do. do. Uh, He became a captain eventually of a slave ship himself. In that role, he was an active supporter of one of the greatest evils the world has ever known. But God's grace was bigger than that evil. God's grace was enough to transform him into a Christ follower and into an abolitionist. Newton's life demonstrates that there is no one so evil that the love of Christ can't save them. But sometimes the good guys are just as hard to save. Get that now. Sometimes it's the good guys who struggle with salvation as much as the John Newtons of the world. If anybody ever tried too hard to be saved, it might have been the Wesley brothers. They were born into a preacher's home in the Church of England. They were taught the Christian faith on Susanna's knee. That was their mother. She taught them the alphabet on their fifth birthday. The following day, they would begin reading the Bible. She spent an hour each week in individual Christian instruction with each child. And sometimes she had more than 10 children in the house at one time. So it was a remarkable thing that she spent an hour each week in Christian instruction with each child individually. At age 13, Charles was a King's Scholar at Westminster School. And when he graduated from there, he went on to the prestigious Oxford University, where he also excelled. Uh, He and John both, in fact, excelled at Oxford. Now, he did... Charles did have that wild freshman year, but he quickly turned his attention back to his spiritual life. 
He actually is the one who started the Holy Club. John came on later and actually became the leader of it. But but Charles started the Holy Club, and the name the club earned the name Methodist for their highly methodical approach to Christianity. They were so intent on living a, a sound, solid spiritual life that other people were making fun of them by calling them Methodist. I wonder, have you been have you ever been so serious about Jesus that people made fun of you? That's where they were. They were that on fire for Jesus in a sense. Both brothers were then ordained as Anglican priest, and both came to the colony of Georgia as missionaries to the Native Americans. They both came over here uh, as into the rough, rugged environment of, new, of the New World to try to win souls to Christ. John said later that he had come to uh, the New World to save the Native Americans, but in reality, he hoped that he might save himself. Because the reality is that both brothers were disasters in the mission field. They both failed miserably. John got into a relationship with a woman named Sophie Hopke that ended horribly, ended with John refusing to serve her communion in worship, and, and he literally had to sneak back on a ship after dark and run away from Georgia to protect his hide. Charles was so strict with his parishioners that one woman actually pulled out a gun and shot at him. So both were disasters on the mission field. Both went home to England as utter failures. They were good men. They were highly religious men. You would be proud to have them as your Sunday school teacher or your pastor. They were so incredibly well qualified. Both were excellent Bible scholars. I dare say that they were better Bible scholars than anyone listening to this message right now, including the one giving it. They were good men. They just weren't Christians. They had not yet experienced the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. They were working themselves to death trying to please God, and they kept coming up short. They were still trying to conquer sin by their own discipline rather than trusting in the forgiveness that comes only in Christ. It wasn't until the year 1738, when they were both in their 30s, that they received the free gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And their lives were forever changed. That moment was a watershed moment for both of them. Everything was different after that. They continued to work diligently in the faith, but they no longer depended on their work. They depended on Christ. God used these two abject failures to launch a revival that spanned across two continents that continues to transform lives to this day. They literally launched a movement that has saved and transformed millions of people over the last 250 years. Well, what made the difference? What happened in 1738 to completely transform John and Charles Wesley? Well, they became new creations. By trusting in Christ's merit rather than their own, they were recreated. They became new. They both struggled for years to live righteous lives. Such a different story from what we had last week with John Newton. These two were struggling, trying to live righteous lives, and they just couldn't make it. 
1738, on different days, they trusted Jesus' actions rather than their own. Finally, they put their trust in what Jesus did rather than in their own efforts. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John and Charles became the righteousness of God when they trusted what Jesus did. God transformed them through God's incredible, unconditional love. It's what Jesus did that reconciles us to God, not our own goodness. Just like John and Charles, no matter how hard we might try to be good, how faithful we are in Sunday school attendance and worship attendance, no matter what we do, we find that we come up short. But it is Jesus who reconciles us to God through what Jesus did. Salvation is not a prize to be earned, but a gift to be received. And it's readily available to the worst of wretches, like John Newton, but it is just as desperately needed by the very best of us. Good people need grace too. What Jesus did also reconciles us to one another. We don't regard one another in human terms. God doesn't count our shortcomings against us, and so we don't count perceived shortcomings against one another. The Wesley Brothers story has always appealed to me. See, for years, I thought I didn't have a real testimony because I haven't done the really bad stuff from which to be saved. In fact, as a teenager, I remember riding along in the car with my pastor, and I I told Brother Mac, I said, I don't believe I have a testimony. You see, by that time, I had heard these fantastic testimonies. I had heard Malin Falcon's testimony of how he was saved in prison and how it changed his life forever. I had heard stories of people who had come back from drug addiction, and and all those powerful emotional testimony stories had had influenced me so much. But I said to Brother Mike, I don't think I have a testimony because I haven't done those things. And I've been in church my whole life. I never left, not even in college. I tried to follow all the rules. I broke some, but I tried to follow them. To be honest, I made myself miserable stressing over the rules. And I made those around me miserable too. I felt it was my responsibility to get others to follow my impossible rules, or I'd judge them if they didn't. To be honest, I needed saving from my religion. Hear that now. I needed to be saved from my religion. I was trusting in my own knowledge of the Bible, my own efforts to be good, and I was falling short. I had to finally learn that I could trust in what Jesus did, that his way was enough. And somewhere along the way, I discovered that Jesus is right. Loving God and loving others is enough. Maybe you have a similar story. You've tried to live a good life. You've done your religious duty. But you're still not sure about forgiveness. There's something that you've done that's still haunting you. The the weight of your own sin is still weighing on you. You're still not experiencing the joy of of being reconciled to God and one another. There's good news. The price is already paid. The gift is prepared for you. All that is left is to come and receive. Amen.